Welcome to SCOTUS Talk. I'm Amy Howe. Thanks for joining us. Last week, the Supreme Court heard oral argument in a case called Department of Commerce versus New York. The case is a challenge to the decision by Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross to add a question about citizenship to the 2020 census. Kimberly Robinson of Bloomberg BNA will join us to discuss the oral argument in the census case. But first, we'll take a look back at other news at the Supreme Court last week. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court dismissed a securities fraud case that had been argued the week before. The court's order means that the justices won't decide the merits of the case, and the Ninth Circuit's ruling in favor of the plaintiffs will stand. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court issued its decision in Lamps Plus v. Varela. By a vote of 5-4, to four, the justices ruled that when it isn't clear whether an agreement to arbitrate disputes allows arbitration on a class-wide basis rather than individually, courts can't conclude that both sides to the agreement agreed to class arbitration. Also on Wednesday, the justices turned down a plea from John King, who was on death row in Texas, to put his execution on hold. In 1999, King was convicted of the gruesome dragging death of James Byrd, but King had always maintained that he wasn't at the scene when Byrd was killed. King was executed by lethal injection on Wednesday night. Let's turn now to last Tuesday's oral argument in the census case. In March of 2018, Ross announced that he had decided to include the citizenship question on the 2020 census. Questions about citizenship have been used on the census before. From 1820 until 1950, all but one census included a question. From 1970 until 2000, a citizenship question was included on the long form of the questionnaire that was sent to roughly one in six households. And since 2005, a citizenship question has been included on the American Community Survey, a questionnaire that goes out every year to about 3.5 million households. Ross said that the decision to bring back the citizenship question was a response to a request from the Department of Justice. The Justice Department wanted the data from the citizenship question, Ross explained, to better enforce federal voting rights laws. But a group of state and local governments, joined by several civil rights groups, challenged the decision. The challengers claim that if the citizenship question is added to the census, millions of non-citizens and Hispanic immigrants won't respond at all, leading to an inaccurate count. They add that the explanation about the Justice Department was just an after-the-fact rationalization and that Ross's decision to include the citizenship question violated the federal laws governing administrative agencies and the Constitution. The stakes in the dispute are high. The government uses data from the census to allocate the 435 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives every 10 years, as well as hundreds of billions of dollars in federal funding. A federal court in New York agreed with the challengers, setting the stage for the Supreme Court to weigh in. That brings us to last Tuesday's oral argument. Here to discuss last week's argument in the census case is Kimberly Robinson of Bloomberg BNA. Welcome, Kimberly. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. I feel like this is like one of these things you're probably too young to remember this when like there was the crossover between homicide life on the streets and law and order, like the two TV shows combined or something like that. So you're off to tape your own podcast in a little while. Yeah, yeah. We we actually just wrapped up. So I'm all I've got the wheels are census on the brain. Okay, great. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit first about how this case got to the court. It didn't come in the normal way. It was fast tracked. Well, that's right. And that's because uh, the parties are kind of working on a pretty tight deadline. The Census Bureau needs to have the 
the census actually printed by June, so the Supreme Court has to uh, decide this case by June for it to have any effect. Um, and so this was actually at the court before the justices had decided to take the case on, not on the merits of the actual dispute, but a, a discovery question about what evidence um, can come into the trial. And it kind of put the all the trials or the evidence that the parties wanted on hold while it was set to consider that discovery question. But the lower courts just went ahead anyway um, with their trials because, again, this tight deadline. So then they decided the cases before the, the Supreme Court had a chance to hear arguments in the discovery case. And so they moved the arguments back to just April. And um, here we are. Here we are. It takes a long time to print 100 million questionnaires, so they've got to get started. <laughs> I um, guess so. And just to cut to the chase, I'm going to a little bit of a spoiler alert here. That the the dispute about the evidence is still in the case, but there was basically like 0.0 time percent time spent talking about that question, right? There's I think Noel Francisco might or somebody tried to work it in briefly, but you know, <laughs> nobody really cares about that at this point. Am I right? Yeah, no, I mean there I think you know, I that was in part because the lower courts went ahead and their decisions, you know, saying that the Trump administration couldn't add this question didn't rely on that evidence. And so I think it kind of, you know, took it really out of consideration, but we'll see if it winds up in the opinion. They'll have they maybe decide it, but it kind of fell by the wayside. Another question that another sort of sub-issue that the federal government was pressing was whether or not this case was properly before the court at all. It argued either that the challengers didn't have a legal right to be in the court, known as standing as the technical legal term, or that this was not a dispute that courts should get involved in. It's not what they call justiciable. And that, too, was something that nobody really spent a lot of time on. Right. I mean, you know, Solicitor General Noah Francisco did try and uh, talk about that as well, in particular, a similar argument to what the administration had argued in uh, the challenge to the travel ban cases, that this is something within the executive's discretion. And so the Supreme Court should stay out of it altogether. That was one of their arguments. But, you know, that did get pretty little play um, in the arguments, which really tended to focus on um, kind of the contrary evidence instead of, you know, the standing. And I'm not going to try and say judicial. No. Just- <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is this week's band word from the podcast. So most of the argument was spent on the question of whether or not the decision by Secretary Wilbur Ross to include the citizenship question was sort of consistent with the federal laws governing actions by administrative agencies. So what that boils down to is that the question before the justices isn't really whether or not they think it was the right decision to include the question or the wrong decision. Can you explain a little bit about sort of what the standard is in these kinds of cases? Right. Well, uh, the legal term, this one I can say, is whether or not the secretary's decision was arbitrary and capricious. But I think it really boils down to whether or not he had a good reason for making the decision that he made. And so there was a lot of discussion about why he decided things uh, the way he did and where where he had said that that was his reason for making that decision. Exactly. We're going to hear some snippets from a couple of the court's more liberal justices. Here's Justice Sonia Sotomayor. How do you take or pluck out of what they say in one sentence, if you're the secretary, and rely on that one sentence and ignore the wealth 
of statistics, graphs, testimony, proof, control studies of how, how these response rates came about, and decide that that one sentence is enough to justify ignoring everything else. And here's the response from U.S. Solicitor General Noel Francisco. Because, Your Honor, I respectfully disagree with your reading of the administrative record. If you read through the key difference in this memo, what the Bureau staff is telling the Secretary, and look, there's no question that the Bureau staff preferred not to have this question on the census. But what they were telling the Secretary was that they couldn't tell which model would be more or less accurate. But they did give him specific information. Here's Justice Elena Kagan. General, just going back to Justice Kavanaugh's simple question about why uh, the Secretary thought that there was a need for this data. And then part of what Justice Sotomayor was talking about was that it did really seem like the Secretary was shopping for a need. It goes to the Justice Department. Justice Department says we don't need anything. goes to DHS. DHS says they don't need anything. goes back to the Justice Department makes it clear that he's going to put in a call to the Attorney General. Finally, the Justice Department comes back to him and says, okay, we can give you what you want. So you can't read this record without sensing that this this need is a contrived one. Nobody had, you know, there have been lots of Assistant Attorney General in the Civil Rights Division that have never made a plea for this Mm -hmm. kind of data. And here's Noel Francisco again. First, I think it is quite common for cabinet secretaries to come into office with ideas and inclinations to discuss with their staff and discuss with their colleagues whether there is a legal and policy basis for that inclination. Secondly, there is no evidence in this record that the secretary would have asked this question had the Department of Justice not requested it, and there is no evidence in this record that the secretary didn't believe that the Department of Justice actually wanted this information to improve Voting Rights Act enforcement. So the the justices never actually used the term arbitrary and capricious, but the picture they were trying to paint was that Ross's decision was so clearly wrong that it can't possibly stand. Am I right? That's exactly right. And we we did really see a lot of discussion about, you know, kind of contrary evidence that contradicted, you know, the secretary's decision, kind of getting into the nitty gritty of those details to prove that his decision wasn't reasonable. And the justices, the the liberal justices really seemed like they came sort of loaded for bear, you know, looking at different pages and talking about different studies. Did they did they make a lot of headway? I don't think so. It's always hazardous to guess um, (laughs) what the justices were going to do. But it did kind of seem like they were coming in knowing that they had an uphill battle. Um, I think it was a few seconds into the argument. Justice Sotomayor did her, you know, her famous, I'm sorry, and, you know, started grilling him on, on, you know, the record. So the flip side of that was the, the theme for the conservative justices is that this secretary's decision was squarely within the bounds of reasonableness. And we'll play a couple snippets. Here's Justice Samuel Alito. If the secretary has to choose between two things, and on one, the secretary knows there's a 98 percent accuracy rate, and as to the other, the Census Bureau says, we're going to create a model, and uh, we don't know how, we can't give you any statistics, but trust us, it's going to be more accurate than 98 percent. Is it arbitrary and capricious for the secretary to say, I'll go with the 98 percent because that's a known quantity? Here's Justice Brett Kavanaugh pointing out that the United States wouldn't be the only country using the citizenship question. The the United Nations recommends 
that countries ask a citizenship question on the census, and a number of other countries uh, do it. Spain, Germany, Canada, Australia, Ireland, Mexico ask a citizenship question. And the United States has asked a citizenship question, as you know, in one form or another since 1820, excluding 1840, uh, and again, long form at times, in more recent times, and then on the ACS since 2005. The question is, does that international practice, that UN recommendation, that historical practice in the United States affect how we should look at the inclusion of the citizenship question in this case. And then we kind of got into lies, damn lies, and statistics. Sort of the, everyone has taken as gospel the idea that if the citizenship question is included, it will lead to a lower response rate. Um, everyone, that is, except for perhaps the Supreme Court justices. Um, here's Justice Samuel Alito again. A lot of your argument and a lot of the district court's argument seems to hinge on this prediction that there will be 5.1 percent fewer responses if the citizenship question is included on the census. Uh, But that seems — that is based, as I understand it, on the fact that non-citizens are somewhat less likely to complete the ACS, which includes the citizenship question, than our citizens. Am I right in understanding that? That's fundamentally where that comes from? Okay. But what jumps out is the fact that citizens and non-citizens differ in a lot of respects other than citizenship. Uh, They differ in uh, socioeconomic status. They differ in education. They differ in language ability. So I don't think you have to be much of a statistician to wonder about the legitimacy of concluding that there's going to be a 5.1 percent lower response rate because of this one factor. And here's Neil Gorsuch. Counsel, isn't isn't, uh, Justice Alito have a point to the extent that there could be multiple reasons why individuals don't complete the form? Well, the length — sorry, go ahead. Plenty of interrupting. Um, uh, But we don't have any evidence disaggregating um, the reasons why the forms are uncom- left incomplete. What, what do we do with that? I mean, normally we'd have a regression analysis that would disaggregate the potential causes and identify to a 95th percentile degree of certainty what the reason is that persons are not filling out this form and we could attribute it to this question. We don't have anything like that here. So what are we supposed to do about that? What did you think of that particular line of, of questioning? Well, it's really interesting. You know, you mentioned that um, kind of everybody agrees that it will lower the response rate except the justices. And it seems like except Wilbur Ross, um, because, you know, the the liberal justices really laid out this pretty questionable timeline about how all these events went down and shows the administration kind of working around career people at the Census Bureau who did hold um, and have held this um, opinion for a long time about the response rates. There were actually three lawyers arguing on behalf of the challengers or supporting the challengers. We had Barbara Underwood, who's the New York Solicitor General. Then we had Dale Ho of the ACLU. And then the third lawyer was Douglas Letter, who was a longtime career lawyer in the Department of Justice, now representing the House of Representatives, which was arguing as a friend of the court, supporting the challengers. And Douglas Letter gave us one of the only light moments of the day 
Here's Douglas' letter. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, um, I just want to say right up front, the Speaker of the House wishes to thank the Justices for their courtesy in hearing from the House today. And here's the response from Chief Justice John Roberts. Tell her she's welcome. The, the focus of Letter's argument was that including the question would violate the enumeration clause of the Constitution, the requirement that there be an actual enumeration, i.e., the census, every 10 years. And here's Letter again. And so anything that undermines the accuracy of the actual enumeration is immediately a problem. So there's been a lot of discussion here, quite properly, because of the way this case has been briefed, about will this help the Justice Department and the Voting Rights Act, et cetera. And that may be a very important point. But it is not why the Census Bureau carries out an actual enumeration, which goes to the apportionment of representatives among the states and then distribution within the states. So if there is something that undermines the accuracy of that count, even if it's important for other reasons, that is both a statutory violation and therefore a violation of the Administrative Procedure Act and a constitutional violation. Was that something that got any traction with the justices? I don't think um, that it got much traction with the conservative justices. And they were really pointing out that that may have been the point of the census when the constitutional provision was written. But the census has evolved and the Census Bureau has evolved to do much more than just carry out the census. And so it it asks questions about an individual's sex and age. And so um, while an actual enumeration may be one purpose for the for the census, the justices were saying, it's not the only purpose. And that was something that actually even Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we think of, you know, obviously among the court's liberal justices, wasn't necessarily buying into, perhaps not necessarily that this wouldn't wouldn't result in a lower count and therefore not an actual enumeration. But she said, you know, couldn't Congress pass a law if they wanted to that said you can't ask about citizenship on the census. Right. And I mean, I think it was pointed out by Justice Kavanaugh that Congress has passed a law prohibiting certain information like religious information. And so, you know, there there is a way for Congress to act, although Congress has placed some limits on the census and what the Census Bureau can do. And the challengers here say that Secretary Ross's decision stepped over those restrictions. So this was generally, it was kind of a tense yeah, yes. oral argument. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of interruptions, you know, some glares at, at, among the justices on the bench. And I think probably it was best encaps- encapsulated by this exchange between Noel Francisco and Justice Sonia Sotomayor at the end of the oral argument. Under my friends on the other side's position, you are effectively empowering any group in the country to knock off any question on the census if they simply get together and boycott it. There are many people in this country who might find the sex question objectionable because it limits individuals to a binary choice. If a large number of people got together in one state and said, we're going to boycott the census, General, as long as you include that sex General, question, you're effectively empowering you, General, them are to you knock suggesting, that off. Okay. Justice are, you suggesting, are you suggesting that Hispanics are boycotting the census? Not in they, the, are you suggesting they don't have whether it's rational or not, that they don't have a legitimate fear 
Not in the slightest, Your Honor. I am suggesting that the risk so of my friend's theory on the other side is that it countenances precisely that type of coordinated behavior that would empower groups to knock off any question of the census that they found to be particularly objectionable. It was also interesting, after this exchange, uh, when Noel Francisco's rebuttal was over, John Roberts said something along the lines of, you know, well, we're done. We're done. <laughs> we're done here. Let's call it a break. And then they needed to take a couple-hour break before they heard their next arguments, which didn't go on until one or two, which was a long day for me. But <laughs> it, was, it was a long day for them. It was also interesting because the, the first argument, at least, in the afternoon session, the afternoon sessions are rare for them these days. Mm-hmm. Back, in the, back in the day, <laughs> uh, it was before my time even, um, they used to f- regularly hold two oral arguments in the morning and then two oral arguments again in the afternoon. Um, But this is really unusual. Sometimes they only hold one oral argument in the morning. But it was interesting that it looked like they had all kind of relaxed a little bit. You know, the (laughs) Mitchell versus Wisconsin was the first case in the afternoon. This was a case about whether or not Wisconsin needs a warrant to take a blood sample from an unconscious person whom they suspect of drunk driving. And it was actually a much lighter argument than the travel ban case. Yes, Justice Ginsburg got in a few laughs in that one. Yeah, you don't you don't hear that phrase very often. <laughs> <laughs> when she brings it, she brings it. <laughs> when she brings it, she brings it. Um, all right, going back to the census, do you see any scenario? And again, we we all know we we learned our lesson during the healthcare case that predicting the outcome of a case based on oral argument is always a risky proposition. Do you see a scenario based on the oral argument in which this isn't a five four split with the liberals on one side and the five conservatives on the other? I don't. I don't see one. And I think it's it's not only based on the oral argument, but I think, again, as I mentioned, the travel ban case kind of really maps up pretty well to this case. And so we know, you know, there what the Supreme Court did. They upheld the travel ban under, you know, the administration's discretion to act in that space. And it seems like that's the way they're going to go here, too. Yes. I, I mean, I feel like it, they're obviously very different issues, but the parallels seem seem pretty striking. They do. They do. Well, I guess we'll know. People always ask, will the Supreme Court definitely issue the decision in June? And I think with this one, we do know the answer. We'll know know the answer by the end of June. Otherwise, this has been a lot of work for no good. For no good, and maybe there'll there'll be no census. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kimberly Robinson, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to do it, and maybe we can have you come on our our podcast. That would be fun. All right, thanks. Thanks so much. That's another episode of SCOTUS Talk. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Case Text, our sponsor, and thanks to our production team, Andrew Hamm, Edith Roberts, and John Levitan.